The nail in the coffin! NBA Finals are upon us. Cavs, Warriors, rematch of the century. In the words of the late Gorilla Monsoon, it's the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin, episode number 32. Tom Valentino, Travis Yuley, we are recording on Tuesday night. Travis, you can tell I'm pretty amped up. Uh, How are you feeling, my man? Pretty much the same. We've had a few days off and a couple really interesting games in the uh, in the Western Conference Finals. So to finally know who we're playing and be able to discuss it, um, and the fact that it's probably the team we all wanted and didn't want at the same time is a uh, reason to be excited. No question. Uh, this has all the makings of a great series, and uh, I honestly think that uh, tonight we have all the makings of a, uh, a pretty damn good show too. Uh, we have not one but two guests. Uh, first making his return to our show, uh, our first two-time guest, Mark Mazaros. Mez, welcome back. Thank you. That's a great honor. I- I'm ready to talk all about David Blatt, reportedly ready to go to this Turkish club and take over there. So I, I think that's a lead topic, obviously. Let- let's get into it. We'll, uh, we'll-, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so much has changed since we talked Cavs last time, I guess is uh, what I'm saying. Oh, it's uh, it's a whole new world here. It's, uh, it's hard to believe that was only, uh, what, Five or six months ago, if that. I, I don't remember how soon Black got fired, but I remember we talked about Black's doing a good job. I think everyone's buying in and then gone. So all hell broke loose. A whole different world. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've got Mez on board and uh, our second guest, uh, truly one of my favorite people to talk basketball X's and O's with. Very excited, excited to have him on our pod for the first time. Mark Kestner, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's interesting that Thrilled. Mez brought up Blatt. It's interesting that Mez brought up Blatt because if that was the last time he was on, then he might be a jinx. <laughs> Don't get loot fired, Mez. <laughs> I'm going to try not to. <laughs> All right. At the same time, that coaching move was beneficial to the team, so maybe he's the 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 secret touch. I'm the agent of positive change, is what I am. There it is. It it did happen right after they got pounded by golden state so that's true one step back two steps forward (laughs) all right let's get we're in better shape now so trev i'm going to start with you uh while the nba would never outright admit it um the dollar signs that you see in the eyes of the league executives would tell us that this is the finals matchup that they wanted um reporters around the Cavs will tell you that this is the matchup that the team wanted um as a Cavs fan is this the matchup that you wanted as a fan, yes and no. I mean, as far as intrigue goes and, and interest and how much shit we're going to have to hear about it for the next two weeks, um, yes, from the, from the standpoint that uh, if we can be the ones to knock off the Warriors, that'll be way more exciting than it would be to have taken down the Thunder. Um, but admittedly, when the Warriors were down 3-1 to one, like a week and a half ago, um, I was saying to myself, the last thing I want to do is have to play the Warriors after they uh, just took three straight from Oklahoma City and are feeling about as good as they could be. So from a confidence standpoint, I don't know that it's the the best matchup, but from a fan and an entertainment standpoint, uh, yeah, absolutely. 
Mez, as you were saying uh, earlier on, we the last time we had talked here on the podcast, um, it was right around Christmas time. The uh, Cavs were getting ready to play the uh, the Warriors for the first time this year. That game was out in Oakland on Christmas Day. Oh, and, right. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then after that, uh, the rematch in Cleveland a, a few weeks later was the one when the Cavs got waxed by uh, about 30-something points and ultimately led to David Blatt's uh, demise here in Cleveland. Um, do you feel like there is anything um, we can take away from those two matchups um, earlier in the season and apply them to this series now? I mean, I don't remember enough about that Christmas Day game because, you know, you got family and it was a while ago. You're distracted. Um, but I'd like to think we could throw them both out. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping the postseason's a whole different ball game. I certainly have been trying to forget that uh, that second matchup, the one in Cleveland. I mean, if we're in for four games of that, that'll be four too many. So I, I hope not. I hope it's a fresh slate, but uh, it kind of echo Trav's uh, sentiments. I, I, I'd have, I don't have as much confidence going in right now, given the circumstances that I'd like to. Fair enough. Uh, Kester, let me ask you this. Uh, we start looking at the, uh, the player matchups here and, and, and going through the lineups, um, strengths, weaknesses, each team, so on and so forth. When you're looking at this from the Cavs' perspective, what uh, what are your biggest concerns um, with this restructured uh, Cavs lineup and in this new look? Um, what we have now compared to uh, what we saw in the uh, earlier meetings with the, uh, the the Cavs and the Warriors. I, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that the biggest matchup problem, and it's the same with every single opponent they have, is is love on defense, and it's, and. and Kyrie on defense and you know if you could get if you could have a team that you your two worst defenders weren't constantly put in an exploited position every time I mean I think that'd be you can't hide them and I I guess that's the biggest thing I I hate both those guys on defense um I hate Kyrie less because I think he tries harder but I mean if you're the Cavs I mean, the the biggest matchup issue definitely is Kevin Love on defense, which it's it, it's a problem to me. And I think I think Toronto exploited it too, kind of exp- maybe not exploited as much as exposed it. It's like you know your your offense is so much better with Love on the floor, but he hurts you so bad on defense. And it's the exact opposite with Tristan Thompson. And I guess what I'm concerned about is how vital Thompson was to them in the finals last year. You know, you want to feel like you can lean on him, but boy, he he really hurts what they're doing offensively now. So it's that four five. No matter who's playing there, the four five thing is a big matchup problem, I think, with Golden State. How, how does Channing Fry fit into that puzzle? Does he kind of split the difference? I think he, in, in some ways, he does split the difference. Like I, I don't think you, you know, he comes to mind as a great defender, but I think he's. Um, Maybe not back there as a rim protector, but I think he's a little better in the pick and roll than Love is. So if that's what teams are going to do. He'd have to be, right? Well, yeah, I think you are probably better. <laughs> well, let's not get crazy. Um, so, But he's interesting because, I mean, the, the, the offense looks so much better with him on the floor than uh, Thompson. But the defense is still – it's still an issue. Him, His defense isn't, you know – it's better than Love's, let's put it that way. <laughs> Would you try um, doing something with, with Kevin Love along the lines of trying to 
maybe cross match him with somebody else on the Warriors out of position that you feel might be less of an offensive threat and and less likely to be getting run off a bunch of screens and whatnot, like a, like an Iguodala or somebody uh, maybe not necessarily at the four spot. Yeah, I don't. I, I guess my first thought was like, if you if they start who they started last night, I think I would play Love on Bogut, and I mean, I mean, not that he's a big offensive threat. I mean, I yes, you want him in the least offensive threat on the floor. I think no matter what you know position that guy plays. Now, is do I want to see him running around chasing Iguodala? I don't know because. I mean, Golden State will put you in that small, small pick and roll too, which I just think no matter who he's on, he's going to get put in a pick and roll. I guess my – and if they're going to do that, then my thinking is I want the the screener in those situations to be less a perimeter threat. You know what I mean? So like if they – not not that it's a cross match necessarily if he plays Bogut, but you know if they start Bogut, which I don't know if they will, but – if they did, that's why I'd put him and I put Thompson on green because Thompson, you know, can go out there and do some things on green. Whereas I don't, I don't want to see a second of Kevin Love chasing Draymond Green around. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the question is, uh, is is Love's liability on defense greater uh, than his uh, his impact on offense? Can you afford to have him out there? I mean, it, it, obviously, uh, Golden State is a different animal than they faced in the playoffs so far. How how much can he really kill you, and how much uh, how much of a leash do you give him? Well, I think there's two. I think there's two sides of that. Like, I think when he's going offensively, no, he's not enough of a liability on defense where you can ignore him. But that that hinges on, you know. Did you get him involved in the first quarter? If the Cavs have 10 shots to start the game, Love needs like five of them. And it's kind of unfortunate you're paying a guy that kind of money and you got to spoon feed him his offense. But if he's going early on, then I think he's enough of a problem on offense where you can live with some of that, you know, some of the defensive liabilities. But a lot of that also depends on how, you know, you know, how hard the other guy, you know, a pick and roll defense is two guys, you know? And so the, maybe as bad as love is on that, because he does look like he, I mean, he looks like he doesn't even know what foot to put his weight on sometimes. But like, I think if, if, if the ball defender um, plays better then he's not as exposed. So I guess to answer that question, is his defensive liability a problem enough to keep him off the floor offensively? Prob- it, it depends on how well he's going early on offensively, but it also depends on what kind of effort you're going to get from the on-the-ball defender in those situations, which has been up and down. That's one of the things I'm going to be looking for. Is I felt like um, I know in game one of the finals last year, Steph Curry had a, ended up having a pretty great game overall, but it felt like Kyrie, until he went down with the injury, was able to uh, at least do a respectable job at making Curry work for his points, and he even came up with a couple of huge blocks. The one of them at the end of the fourth quarter uh, and set up the Cavs to uh, get a last shot at it in regulation and ended up going to overtime, but uh, 
Um, I, I know we're we're kind of abusing Kevin Love and, and putting him under the microscope here, but it's really to me going to be on, on what the Cavs guards are able to do in terms of how they're going to handle uh, Curry and, and Clay Thompson both, because um, you, you saw a, a good backcourt. Um, in the Toronto series and the two games that the Raptors were able to win, it was because uh, uh, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan both seemed to go off, uh, especially in, in game four. And uh, you're going to get a much better version of, of those two um, coming with uh, what Golden State's got in their starting backcourt. And yeah. unlike the Raptors, they have other guys who can beat you too. So you, you can only pay them so much attention, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, Mez, let me ask you, just uh, if you're the Cavs, what, or if you, as you're watching the series now, um, do you expect the Cavs to try to do something kind of similar in terms of trying, because it, it felt like w- what we saw against Toronto was trying to trap those guys out high a lot um, and, and swarm them with a, a double team off the, the pick and roll. Do you expect the Cavs to try a little bit of that against the Warriors? I think you got to try a little bit about that, but they're going to swing the ball. And the Warriors can just hit you from so many different angles with so many different guys. I, I just feel like it's going to just take the Cavs on all cylinders defensively. Like whatever their peak is, just, you know, as good as they can handle these one-on-one matchups. Cause I, I don't want that. You know, they move the ball beautifully. Like I, I just, when the Raptors are swinging it around, I was you know, I wasn't too worried about tomorrow carry uh Carol threes and whatnot, but uh, I, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. I, <laughs> How's that? Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> can't uh, can't ask for a, a much more rosy outlook than that. I, I think they're. I think Lou's just going to have to keep uh, keep pushing buttons, get creative with the rotations. If Love has to sit for the second half, sit him. If we got to see more Delhi, like this is the finals, man. Do whatever you got to do. Put egos aside. You know, back to Love. Like he, he either he goes off in the first half or he doesn't. And, and I almost think you need to phase him out anyways in, in favor of more uh, Thompson and and Fry as the game goes on. So. I don't know. Good luck. Uh, you know, the other guy, uh, in terms of the guard rotation that we haven't uh, talked about too much, Iman Shumpert was uh, really a great defender, even uh, battling through some injuries last year in the finals and, and played a very uh, key role in, in pushing that series to six. Uh, been a little bit up and down, I feel like, in the playoffs this year. Um, Kester, would you agree with that? Uh, he, it still seems like he shows flashes, and I know even on the offensive end. I mean, I think he shot like forty-seven percent on uh, on three pointers, but defensively is really where he makes his money. And I feel like there was more than one occasion in that Toronto series where we saw him get caught on the wrong foot and getting blown past. Yeah, and I I don't know if um, you know one of the things I had a criticism of the Cavs, especially early on in that series, was. I don't, and I'm assuming it was in the scouting report. They were closing out hard on shooters, which I didn't quite understand. But I think J.R. Smith and, and Shumper both, um, you know, were closing hard on guys, chasing guys off the line. And um, it was, I mean, they were getting blown past hard. And I, but I, looking at it, it seemed like maybe that was part of the game plan. Like I just didn't, um, I didn't understand how they were chasing guys off the line. But, I think Shumpert's a better um, Shumpert's a Shumpert's better against the guy with the you know off the bounce when he's not the 
catch and shoot guy. Like he struggles with that wing player who can, you know, give you a ball fake and then put the ball on the floor. So I just didn't think, you know, I'm not saying he was, he had defensive deficiencies. I just think he didn't have as great a matchups as we've seen him have in the past. Like I think he was excellent last year in Golden State, but those are guys, you know, who can, I think when his guy's a primary, primarily a jump shooter, he has better success against them. Okay. Trev, you know, you had mentioned earlier the uh, the Golden State and Oklahoma City series. What really kind of uh, seemed to sink the Oklahoma City last night, especially Game 7, they were right in it, and then all of a sudden you, you get that barrage uh, of three-point shots. Some of them I felt like came off of almost uh, – broken plays that yeah they took a lot of bad shots that ended that ended up in uh deep wide open i mean not wide open but effective threes they were doing that and we've seen it all season but i think the Cavs they're gonna have to live with those occasionally they're just gonna have to suffer through them they're ones that are just frustrating you play really good defense and you keep a hand in a guy's face and you're i know the the run that you're talking about um but i think that killed the thunder even more was russell westbrook he was just wildly ineffective i thought yesterday um we've seen him this way he just gets full head of steam and just charges down the floor and stuff like that but he was just taking some some awful contested threes um missing buckets at right like layups right at the bucket he missed that one finger roll that that would have been a, a pretty huge bucket if he could have put it down um i i personally yeah golden state they they outplayed the thunder but for a guy that everyone's been talking about as a top five player in the league, Russell Westbrook sure didn't look like it. And Durant didn't either for times during that series, which makes it all the more incredible that they were able to push it to seven. I thought uh, it just, it, it felt like to me watching that game last night, that as soon as they gave up the lead, they just the the, the metal collapse, their body language. Yeah. Their it body looked horrible. They were pointing at each yeah, other. Barking, and I know that's sort of part of their identity, and uh, it's just kind of who they are. But um, you just you kind of get the feeling like the Cavs are going to have to weather a few storms like that through this final series, and and not get mentally broken. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it was with the Thunder yesterday either. They they didn't seem to get Durant involved um, until really late. I, I want to say at some point, pretty late in the game, he had like seven shots he'd taken or something crazy. He was like five of seven, and you're like, well, why the hell isn't he shooting the ball more? Because you know they could they could probably use some baskets because no one else is really doing anything. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I guess the thing I've been wondering is the Thunder th- seemed to have a great game plan. Um, obviously, that it didn't it didn't go in their favor, but to be as close as they were with how poorly some of their guys played. Um, I think the question a lot of people are probably wondering is, can Cleveland take anything from that? Um, and I guess jury's still out. We'll find out. But, um, yeah, you're right. They seemed like they got to a certain point where they didn't really think they could win that game anymore, um, even when it was still within their reach. And I, you have to hope that LeBron doesn't let the Cavs have that same mindset if put in a similar position. I, don't, I wouldn't think he would, but, um, you know, there's guys – Kyrie and Love, especially who weren't in the finals last year, so you have to hope that they're that they don't let it get in their head. But who knows? I hopefully 
um, LeBron is able to keep people focused enough or just take over and do it himself, whichever. All right. On that point, I, I want to bring Meza in here. Um, question. Uh, we, we, uh, we've seen quite a few times in the postseason where the Cavs have, the, the way they've come out, LeBron uh, has made a real concerted effort to try to get uh, Kevin Love started early, um, deferring to Kyrie and, and really getting those other guys involved and uh, maybe kind of asserting himself more once the game gets going. Uh, Mez, do you expect LeBron to try to take that uh, th- that backseat role early on in these games against Golden State, or do you expect him to kind of come out with a little bit more force like we saw in the clinching game against Toronto? I, <clears throat> excuse me. I would expect more of the, you know, him try the backseat thing, try to get people going, see where that's at, take the temperature, I mean, I think he's spent all year trying to get this team to the point they they are. Although I was, you know, I sort of go back and forth by how much of a backseat he really wants to take. But he certainly seems to be in that mindset now. And the, you know, well, I don't, I don't know what what is the stat? If if, if all three guys go over twenty, they don't lose. I mean, I, I think it's in their best interest to get to get the big three going, and he can always get his later. So that's what I expect to see. That's what I want to see. I guess it's it's you know, you guys talk about weathering these storms. Just how quick is everything they're going to do, uh, they want to do break down because, you know, threes are going up left and right or going in left and right. I I, I don't know. But, um, you know, they're they're in a good place right now, certainly offensively, if not defensively. I, I mean, if you would have told me months ago, this is how we we're going to look going into the finals, like uh, I'd be all in. And I'm, I'm still excited about it. But it's, it's just such a tough matchup. Kester, let me ask you this. Um the uh, pace of play, it, it seems like since Lewis come in and, and run the team here over the second half of the year, there's been a, a, an effort to kind of push the ball up the floor a little bit more, um, try to really keep the ball moving, and, and just a, a general overall quickness. Uh, last year, almost out of necessity, with all the injuries, um, the Cavs resorted to what I've called in the past blunt force trauma basketball, where they just really had to grind it out and, and not really be particularly efficient. Um, but it really was kind of a, a style of play uh, that, um, however they got to it, it, it kind of carried them into a position where they almost pulled that series off. If you're the Cavs this year, are you going to try to push the pace against Golden State, or are you going to try to slow it down? I, I actually have thought about – that like I've asked my I've asked myself that question a bunch of times and I cannot decide I honestly cannot decide like statistics tell you that when you're playing as efficiently as they are on offense right now you want more possessions um that is probably counterintuitive to um you know what most teams would how they'd approach the Warriors because you want to limit their possessions when, you know, if I get 110 possessions a game, um, they're going to get more possessions a game versus like if I got a hundred. So, but again, I think they've looked the Cavs it's, at some point you got to stop worrying about the opponent and do what you do. Are they better when they push the pace? I don't think there's any question. I think when you got, two guys that can get in the paint at will and play downhill, then that up and down game is what you need to do. So as, as leery, I, as leery as I am of getting an up and down game with the Warriors, um, it'd be hard for me to get away from what 
you know, they do best. You know what I mean? And to be honest with you, um, Oklahoma State sped sped them up. Like, you know, the Cavs slowed them down, grinded out, blunt force trauma, made it uh, try to make it ugly. Um, but Oklahoma City did the opposite. They sped them up and, you know, made them pay for those cross matches because, it, uh, you know, when when the pace of the game is quick, it's hard to play those cross matches. So the fact that the Cavs are playing better, faster, and the fact that Oklahoma City might have given us maybe not a blueprint but a glimpse at potential problems Golden State has with the pace, um, I'd say play fast. Schematically, are there or, or just looking at the rosters, where do you see the biggest advantages for the Cavs, and, and what's their best chance of finding something to exploit on Golden State? Draymond maybe picking up that next flagrant. Mm. <laughs> um, no, just, I don't. I don't know that there's many advantages. We both know that if he does, it'll just get rescinded after the game, anyways. Come on. See, now yeah, I, I had this set up as as my next uh, question for Trav, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, Kester, go ahead and, and finish your thought. I just I don't know that like on paper matches matchups wise that there's much of an advantage. I'd say the Cavs are a better rebounding team, but that's easily negated depending on because face it, we're going to re- the Cavs are going to react to whatever lineups Golden State plays, and not the other way around. Uh, the Cavs have not been a team that can make other teams react to their big lineup, the way that they have to react to other teams' small lineups, which is a whole different topic of conversation. But, uh, you know, theoretically, they're a better rebounding team. Um, I think statistically in the playoffs, they might be, and, and they're probably going to regress to the mean a bit, but they're right now they're as good a shoot, three-point shooting team as Golden State. So um, I wouldn't be, like, too horrified of, you know, just matching them three for three, you know, go up and down the floor with them. I I mean, just, I don't know. Uh, they, they rebound better, I guess. The, uh, the three point shooting, it, it leads me to the thought that, um, I think Channing Fry is going to have a, a huge role in this series one way or the other. He's been on an unbelievable tear from the, uh, the three point arc with the catch and shoot, um, three point shots throughout the playoffs. And uh, I I just keep wondering how long he could keep that pace up, but uh, he's the one guy that was not on this roster last year or in the two meetings this year because he came in at the trade deadline and uh, just I really feel like um, for everything else that uh, he he may or may not give you if if he can continue shooting that way it might stretch out the defense from Golden State a little bit and really kind of give the Cavs a wrinkle that they haven't been able to throw at the Warriors previously. Um, Trav, I did want to bring you back in to uh, talk about Draymond since uh, since he came up there. Um, just to reset for everybody, uh, Draymond Green is uh, e- either one uh, flagrant foul point away uh, or two technical fouls away from getting a one-game suspension, and I think if he would happen to get a flagrant two, it would actually be a two-game suspension for him at this point. Um, in your mind, is there any conceivable way that the NBA would actually pull the trigger on a suspension for him at this juncture of the postseason? It sure doesn't seem like it. I mean, I said this the other day, and I, I, I tend to stand by it. If 
if, if we're towing this line of like what is because everyone was saying, well, they don't want to, you know, look like they're determining the series or having a huge impact in the series uh, by suspending him uh, a few games ago. I think if there's a line where where does, you know, making guys play uh, respons- responsibly, I guess, for lack of a better term, and not play like an idiot, where does that outweigh, um, you know, the desire not to impact the series? And if kicking a dude in the balls doesn't isn't on that side of the line, I just have to assume that they're they're not they're not entertaining the idea um, of doing it. So it would it seems at this point he would have to do something incredibly egregious to force their hand because they've given him uh, as many chances as I think we've ever we've ever seen a guy get. And it, it's sort of funny because. I don't know if there's anyone maybe outside of LeBron on the Cavs that would get that leeway. Should JR probably would have been banned from the league for a year if he did anything that Draymond's done so far. Um, so I, it, it sort of seems like they're just going to play laissez-faire and let him let him do what he wants if they can if they can if they even have the the slightest uh, window to call it an incidental play or unintentional or whatever the case is. Although. I've been hearing for the last 15 years that they try not to measure intent, so I'm not sure why all of a sudden they've abandoned that part of it as well. But that's just me getting 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 into it on the NBA well, again. I guess. Let me jump in and, and try to spin it the other way, though. Is it possible now that the Warriors, you know, the Warriors have made it to the finals, or they've helped the Warriors make it to the finals? You, you know, maybe now is when you send the message. And, and Cleveland's the underdog. Maybe they want to. Maybe there's. Maybe they want to help Cleveland a little bit is now when maybe they send the message because no one's not going to tune into a finals game they were otherwise going to watch because Draymond's sitting. I, I could I could see them more easily doing it now, but at the end of the day, I agree with everything you said. My theory on this is that I still don't think that they're going to suspend him because overall I think the NBA at the end of the day wants its stars on the floor um, deciding these series, and, and they want their stars playing, and they, they want the, them involved in the games and they're willing to take any PR hit that comes from it, um, from keeping them out there. And the thing that really irks me about this, um, is that it seems like Draymond has had several very dubious, uh, incidents since that, uh, uh, kick in the nuts to Steven Adams that, and that everybody I mean, he had won the game before it was it wasn't the first or the last of of right of but that 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 big plays. The, the, the big kick there was the one that everybody seemed to think was like all right this is where he's going to get suspended now and they found a, a loophole to just upgrade it to a flagrant two after the fact which really didn't do a whole lot for uh Oklahoma City in the moment although I think that was one of the games they went on to win anyway um, but I, I just, I feel like if anything, Draymond's almost been emboldened by this and, and he's going to push the envelope more because it's like, he almost knows that there's no way in hell you're actually going to suspend me. So I, I'm just going to act with uh complete and total disregard now. And, and he's almost like he's daring him to, to pull the trigger on it. Right. Well, and I guess the thing that I, I don't understand, they upgraded this to a flagrant two, a flagrant two by definition carries the punishment of missing game time. So I'm not sure why that all of a sudden goes out the window because it was done after the game. They acknowledge that the act that he did should have merited him being removed from the game. Yet a $25,000 fine is supposed to, you know, cover that, I guess. I, 
I don't know. I think I saw someone say it's like the equivalent of fining you or me eighty dollars. Mm. Um, so it's not like it, it, they did nothing that I think has any real impact on him. And and, it, and he pretty much showed right afterwards he's not going to change the way he plays. Um, if I don't know if you, if if they're okay with that, it's pretty ridiculously reckless. I mean, say what you want about intent. If part of your game is flailing around to get calls and you're so out of control that you can't avoid kicking a guy in the balls, you need to be punished in some way that changes your the way that you play. Um, and I think the NBA missed that completely. Doesn't this feel like a thing they'll crack down in the in the offseason and, and at the beginning of the year? You know, like now we've taken a hard look at it. It's we can't let these guys flail, but they're not going to do anything now. I think I, personally, I think coming down on it after makes them makes them look even worse like yeah we were too chicken shit to do anything about it then but you know we'll do something about it now but yeah like like i think tino said you'd rather take the pr hit if you're the nba so but how about this how about okay so in the finals he does it he flails and this time it's not adam's balls he connects with it's lebron's does that change does that change what the league does i think it might you'd like to hope so Uh, it shouldn't but no, it shouldn't. I mean, I hate to it, put LeBron's balls on the table for that, but you know, hey, if he needs to take one for the team, he will. I, I have faith in him. Adams, that is one champ. It was amazing the way that he just both times. I mean, he went down, but I don't know that I would have gotten up as quickly as he did. No, that uh, that is the, the he, one. he might be tougher than any of us. I'm just going to throw that out there. Oh, no question. Adams, what, what did a- I see? He's like the ninth kid in like a family where they're all like. 610 and above or something ridiculous <laughs> right the bunch of kiwi look, freaks if you look at the two um you know low blows of the playoffs look at the players involved and it was bismack biombo right and dante jones and steve adams and draymond green and one face if you will maybe you guys will appreciate that wwe reference <laughs> but you know what i mean one but so one face in all those, in both those situations, um, and I just think if it happens to somebody else where, you know, Draymond Green's not the biggest name involved, it could change the way um, the NBA hands down some sort of punishment. I, I guess think the, that might be the first time anyone's tried to categorize Draymond Green as a face. Well, compared to the other guys, right? <laughs> oh, in notoriety for sure. But I think he's taken a very distinct heel turn over the last week. Right, that's true. But I guess name guys more than, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, definitely. Nobody cares about Bismack Biambo or Dante Jones, but. Dante Jones was such a throwaway, truthfully. Right. If, if, if those happened on the same day, they probably don't do anything to Dante Jones just because it doesn't. They look, can't. It doesn't look <laughs> that biased. But right. The fact that it was one day before, they're probably sitting there shaking their heads like, son of a bitch, we got to go out here and justify this somehow. I just think if it's if it's Kyrie or Love or LeBron that gets kicked in the nuts, the league might look at it a little differently. I honestly I feel like if it was Kyrie or, or Love, it would um, have a greater likelihood of doing that even than LeBron. And I know that seems kind of counterintuitive, but... It just feels like there's a lot of times where guys are allowed to hammer away on LeBron and, and the number of free throws he gets versus the percentage of the time he's getting shots at the rim. It's actually really low. Um, and you've heard stories before about he's almost officiated differently, um, kind of like Shaq was to a, 
to a different degree just because of how physically uh, dominant they are. And I think LeBron actually, for a guy that's a superstar and face-of-the-league type player, uh, takes a bit of a beating. I agree, but I also think this, too, and just like, you know, the Jordan, you know, Jordan had some preferential treatment, too. But I think just like Jordan, LeBron gets away with a lot of stuff on offense that probably balances that out because that offhand and he's a big, strong guy and that offhand gets on a lot of defenders. So I think it balances out. That's not cheating. That's creating an advantage. (laughs) Well, what are you doing bringing both sides of the discussion? No, I'm just saying it might even out. So I'm not I'm, I'm not going to jinx that by saying he should get more calls at the rim. But, I mean, he does he does get fouled a lot at the rim. And I, I think, like you said, Tom, with just like Shaq, he's so strong that I think a lot of these officials, you, you don't even see it, you know, because it's like, you know, it's like a mosquito landing on an elephant. Yeah, that's uh... – It'll be interesting to see how the whole thing with Draymond goes. Um, I, I don't foresee him backing down. Um, also, the, just speaking of the way things are officiated, the other thing I'm going to be kind of keeping an eye on, this was uh, 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 kind of a story for Game 7 of the Western Finals. Um, I didn't realize this, but there's apparently a rotation for the officials in, in which games they're assigned to. And I always know that they, they try to select from a certain pool for the playoff games, but it, uh, it came up that uh, Scott Foster was supposed to be officiating game seven, or it was expected that he would. And then we found out that Danny Crawford was going to get that assignment instead. And um, I know this is kind of getting to be inside baseball type stuff, but there was a poll that came out earlier this season uh, of, of uh, I think players and personnel around the league asking what they thought about the officials and and who they think is the best and who they think is the worst. And Danny Crawford was listed as the best official in the league um, by the teams, and Foster was considered the absolute worst official in the league. And uh, the other thing that's really no- notable about Scott Foster is that road teams are um, incredibly uh, good um, compared to their, their normal record. Um, in games that Scott Foster officiates. So if you're looking, um, if you enjoy conspiracy theories and, and you're looking to see if the NBA wants to give a team a, a little bit of a bump um, when they're on the road, uh, look for Scott Foster to be officiating um, some of these finals games. Wow. Full stuff. disclosure, I think that survey that you're talking about, I think it was a pretty damn small sample size, like 25 to 30 guys. Um, and like six or seven of them said one way and it, it wasn't, I looked at it and I read it and it was, it seemed just like a got a lot of guys complaining about rest that they don't like. Um, not to say that there isn't some validity to it, but, um, usually these anonymous polls from random players, um, can be taken with a grain of salt, I think. All right. Um, I'm, I'm bringing up the story now. Uh, Well, looks like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a total number, but, um, yeah, I don't know how scientific it is, but Scott Foster definitely has a reputation and he was also very closely attached to Tim Donahue about eight years ago. And if you ever dig into some of the stories uh, around that and the way those guys were on the phone with each other around, um, suspicious games, it's incredible that he's still in the league, but 
that's probably a story for another day. Uh, all right. Um, Mez, any other things that you're particularly going to be looking for as this series unfolds? You know, at the risk of oversimplifying it, just can, can we keep shooting like we have? Because I guess to kind of go back to what you were asking Mark about, you guys were talking about the pace. I I, I think we're going to try to out, uh, uh, out Golden State, Golden State. You know, can we can we match their firepower? If we if we, if we have a cold shooting night, I, I just don't see how how we can win. So if uh, if Kevin loves hitting those threes early and we're moving the ball around, then, you know, I'll take my chances. Kessner, what else are you going to be looking for? I, I want to see. I, I do think they'll push the pace. I I like what Matt said. We're going to out. They're going to out Golden State, Golden State. But I want to see what they do um, when they have to run half court offense, like Oklahoma City. Um, they ran a lot of off the ball stuff that you don't see that much in the NBA. With their, I mean, they they have a, a, a more of a. They're more committed to their big man rotation than most teams are, but. They were setting some solid screens off the ball and and making you know Curry and Thompson you know fight through some stuff, which is definitely not um, the way the Cavs played them last year. So I guess I'm curious about uh, what they're going to do when when it when it is a half court game. Though though I do think they'll try to outscore them. Like I like the idea of making Curry. Um, fight through some off the ball stuff, you know, and run guys off curls. And they got the personnel to do that. I, they got better personnel to do that than Oklahoma City does. Um, and 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 then conversely, that's it was interesting that you know in um, in Game Six especially, Golden State did the exact thing to Oklahoma City. Um, so teams have problems with that because they're not used to playing that way. Yeah, I feel like one of the biggest things that uh, for the Cavs is going to be to keep the ball moving because where uh, Oklahoma City really seemed to unravel, I think it was in game six, there there was a stretch uh, to close the game on like four, their final 14 possessions. I think like 12 of them, they had one pass or less for the entire possession and their offense just completely stalled. And I know in the past, especially previous to Ty Lue taking over, uh, stagnant offense became a real problem for the Cavs, and um, they've been at their best when they get the ball moving around. So yeah, but but aren't you guys all worried that you know they're gonna it's gonna be a tie game and Golden State's gonna hit a couple transition threes off turnovers, and it's all of a sudden it's a seven point game, and they just are gonna re- revert to that ISO pound the ball, clear one side of the floor. That's what I'm scared about. No question. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely valid. We, I mean, we saw it. We saw it during the regular season against, I mean, non-Golden State teams, other right. average teams. So yeah, that's always a concern, especially. That if, said, though, I mean, we've seen as little of that as I can remember in the last, you know, several weeks to a couple months. So we're in our best position not to do that. But I totally agree. We could go back to that at any time. Yeah, that's what I'm worried. Yeah, I mean, I think it's even in the in the playoffs. The one time that the Cavs really started doing that was the only time they ended up losing games in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference. Was uh, and and Kyrie got a little bit uh, guilty of that as well with uh, falling back into that habit of over dribbling. So, um, yeah. going to be imperative. there were moments this postseason where I, I thought he was over dribbling, and then it ends in a bucket, and all is forgiven. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's a weird, uh, delicate mix there with him, but yeah, huh. that's a concern. Well, you know, uh, Golden State, uh, Curry, um, 
will sometimes get into those patterns where he dribbles and uh, gets under five seconds in the shot clock, and all of a sudden he's putting up a contested 25-footer that anybody else would be excoriated for taking, and and he drills it, and it makes me want to throw my phone against the wall, and you know that that's his bad habit that he can get away with. And uh, I, I guess for Kyrie, it's the dribble, 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 and uh, all of a sudden coming up with something good at the rim. So, right. as long as Kyrie's mixing it with some nice looks to set up teammates, I think he's been doing more of that. I mean, I, that's just what I've always wanted to see more definitely. out of Kyrie. So he's definitely finally uh, setting LeBron up more. Like, oh God, you you just want that to continue. You know, he's so dangerous when he wants to be. Absolutely. Trev, um, anything else that uh, that you're going to be looking for that we might not have touched on to this point? I think one that that no one seems to be talking about much. I think is the fact that Ty Lue's been a head coach for like three months now, um, and he's going to go against this team who is going to force some adjustments. He's going to have to at some point uh, change some of what he's doing. He's going to have to really hone in on his rotations and whatnot. And seeing if he's willing to to make those adjustments, or if he's able to identify them quickly enough to make a difference, um, I don't I don't pretend to be huge into like X's and O's and always know what's going on in a game. But um, seeing how he adjusts and handles himself in this situation that promises to be far more stressful than anything he's encountered to date, um, I, I I think could end up being a difference in 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 the series as a whole. Um, so just kind of seeing what he does there, I think I'll be paying attention to because the players, once they're out there, you just have to hope that they, you know, make the right decisions and they make the shots when they're there and whatnot. But um, I think he could have a bigger impact than most people are thinking. To be fair, I think he has been in some situations to the through the playoffs to this point where he's had to make some adjustments on the fly. And I feel like um, he has answered the bell at every turn and has done about as uh, good a job as I would have looked for. I don't think he's been perfect. I think he's um, made some mistakes here and there, but I think his good is far outweighed as bad. That said, this is going to be a whole different level. Um, you know, actually that gets me thinking, Kester, you had, uh, you and I had talked about this a little bit the other night when we were watching the uh, 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 game six of the East finals together. You, uh, how have you felt about his performance to this point? Ty Lue, I'm speaking of. I I haven't liked him. Um, I haven't liked adjustments he's tried to make in game, but I think he's been really good game to game. If that makes sense, like I see things that I consider mistakes during the game, and then you know the next game there's less of it, and the next game he's doing something completely different. So <clears throat> I'd say that his his inexperience so far shows during the game but game to game i mean he makes adjustments i mean how you know how they've defended certain looks um and his rotations um he might like i think he choked with that abandoning that the lineup that he came up with in the playoffs i think it was an absolute mistake to abandon that mid game but then he didn't do it again you know what i mean so <coughs> um and i think Kerr's better that way too um, game to game rather than in game. So I think Kerr doesn't get as much credit as he probably should uh, for what he's done. Um, so I, I, it, the coaching thing, like Travis said, I, the coaching thing that maybe not everybody's talking about is pretty intriguing to me. I think some of some of the credit that Kerr doesn't get could be based on the fact that his uh, he was out for 
35 games and his assistant didn't lose one. Right. <laughs> so, so a lot of, I think a lot of people are sort of subscribing well, to the got- fact that that's just like a plug and play system over there, as opposed to, um, probably giving him the credit he deserves for developing that system to where it can work that seamlessly. And he's got some players. So that always takes a yeah, they're okay. off the coach's job. It is. Yeah, but he's made Mark else. Jackson look bad. <laughs> oh, that's still such an awkward dynamic with having Mark Jackson calling all these warriors playoff games. Yeah. Like immediately. Did anyone removed. hear him oh. complain about uh, Richard Jefferson <laughs> losing a game for them when he missed two free throws like 10 years ago? I missed that. He I was just commenting like casually on Mark Jackson or on uh, Richard Jefferson. He's like, "Yeah, Richard Jefferson. He's a good, experienced player. He blew a series for us a while ago when he missed two free throws against the Spurs." And it's like, uh, it was in like 2005, and he missed two free throws in Game One, and ended up going to overtime, and they lost. It's like, my, Jesus, man, do you hold a grudge? My wow. favorite Mark Jackson move is I've twice heard him. I think this year to give. Uh, <laughs> Someone's given the current coach credit, and he's like, "Well, let's not forget the guy who came before him. He really, he really put this team in a position to take that next step." I'm like, "Oh, laying it on a little thick, aren't we, buddy?" Wait, how about this too? How about the difference between the broadcast teams? Like, I thought last night was almost unwatchable after, you know, maybe being being spoiled by Jackson and Van Gundy. It it was it was. I almost had to mute it last night with Weber, like. I can't take it. I, uh, I'm glad you brought this up. I was so disappointed by that um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, TNT on the whole is so far um, superior for me um, for NBA broadcasts over ESPN. Um, historically, they have been over the last few years. But this year, um, just a few things. Number one. I love Marv Albert. He's one of my two favorite announcers ever in any sport, along with Al Michaels. But Marv noticeably slipped. Deadspin had a a piece up today that chronicled um, just like six or seven just glaring errors that he had last night. He really struggled. Uh, Another problem that TNT had was that um, Weber and uh, Reggie Miller were both in and out of the booth. So it was like impossible for them to get any sort of a rhythm going. I think uh, Reggie Miller was out on like paternity leave for a couple games and Weber missed some games with back problems. And um, they just they never got a rhythm because they didn't really work together as all three of them as a three man booth all season. Um, so uh, when it came together last night for all three of them to be working together, yeah. really rough. It was rough. Rough. Um, that post game studio uh, studio show might make it worth it, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, a- any second of Barclays is, is good. So, yeah, they are uh, they're tremendous. You know, uh, speaking of the other thing with the television, so like um, my office now is um, if you if you know uh, downtown across uh, Boulevard from uh, Progressive Field, the, the the building where you've got the Thirsty Parrot and uh, Wilberts. Um, there's those three, there's those three parking lots and that's typically where I park every day. And already eight days ahead of when the, uh, the Cavs are going to host their first finals game. ESPN was there, um, setting up shop. Now they normally are able to contain all of their production equipment in that little plaza between the queue and progressive field. Uh, they mm-hmm. had to block off those, all three of those parking lots. They had 20 television production trucks set up already 
and they're building scaffolding that's going to run from the parking lots to the garage. It, it, it's absolutely staggering the amount of broadcast equipment and everything that goes into um, putting on a finals broadcast. And I, I was just absolutely blown away. So um, if uh, if the ESPN uh, broadcast, um, and I know the games will be shown on ABC, but it's an ESPN production, if it's not top of the line for the finals, it will not be for a lack of resources. Right. As much as we like, uh, you know, Van Gundy, I just want to go on the record that uh, I'll predict he won't make a he won't uh, be critical of a coach this series. That's what I find disappointing. Very true, but he will have plenty to say about the officiating. <laughs> no, they're a good team, and I love Breen. So I I love them all. Yep. Breen, uh, did I think last year he set a record? He's called the most finals on TV of any broadcaster in any NBA history, which I found shocking, but. Wow, that wow, is surprising. Yeah. yeah, I would have thought it would have been Marv, but um, I think Marv's legal troubles in the late nineties uh, when he got to <laughs> sideways. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the foul. Um, <laughs> yeah, that uh, that probably cost him the record. And uh, anyway, here we are now. All right, um, anybody with any parting thoughts before we wrap it up? Tino, I got one yeah. parting thought. I think. Um, and Travis touched on this a little bit right at the at the tip-off to this thing about wanting to play uh, Golden State or what matchup you wanted to see. And I think Mez, well, I know Mez agrees with me. I I would have, I, I mean, if I, you know, it's been 52 years and I've been alive for you know, not quite that long. But I, I mean, if we had to play the 76ers and we could get a title or we could play, you know, St. Gabe's, Grizzlies or whatever and win a title. I, I'll take that team. Like I, I just want to play the easiest possible opponent to win a championship. So if we I, if we win this, it's the best story. But man, I would have loved to have home court. Just I agree. I, I I have a hard time believing that people actually wanted Golden State to win. I guess that's not the thing to bring up as you're ending this. But <laughs> I, I still can't believe it. I think it's a weird thing. I think everyone wants to be the team to beat Golden State, but no one actually wants to play Golden State. Yeah. And we didn't and we didn't get to play them at full strength last year, so you feel like there's unfinished business. That said, I, I what yeah, Kessler oh, yeah, said, I 52 I years, I, I just yep. think we have a better shot against the Thunder. Yeah, and for as much as the Cavs feel like they've got something to prove because they were so um... – dinged up in the finals last year and even half the guys who were playing were still injured. I I think the Warriors are going to feel like they've got something to prove as well. I mean, they're this close to history. 73 right. win season, got a chance to finish it off with the title and they still get uh people saying that uh, you know, the Cavs were were injured last year and and I think there's something for the Warriors to say, "Hey, wouldn't have mattered if they were at full strength. We would have beaten them anyway." just to remove any last doubt. So. Yeah. It's funny. I heard some people this last week saying like this, this, I don't know that it counts as a leak even, but um, like reports from golden state that they would have preferred to play Cleveland with uh, Kyrie and love just because it would have allowed them to play right. more of their style or something. I don't know what it was. It sounded more of just like some sort of lame justification, I guess. So that, they could brush under the rug for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I'm they can sure say that now. Is, but, you know. Right. It's easy to say that now, of course. Um, but yeah, I'll say I've developed a somewhat unhealthy dislike for, for golden state that I'm not sure I've ever seen in another sporting team. Um, well, you seem to love Draymond. I don't know. Oh God. 
disgusting <laughs> bastard <laughs> but yeah, no like I've, I've hated some teams over the years I don't know that I've ever hated a team as much as I hate Golden State this year wow when when Oklahoma City got up three to one in that Western Conference Finals, I was starting to think about how I was going to have a hard time really disliking them because I like a lot of the guys on that team. Um, I will have no such difficulty with uh, Golden State uh, over the next uh, two and a half weeks. He's watching, folks. That easy for you. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark and uh, Mark, thank you both very much. This was. Uh, Everybody as good as I uh, hoped, and uh, hopefully the Cavs' performance in uh, the finals is uh, every bit uh, as solid as uh, you guys were here on the nail tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It was fun. Thanks for having us. All right. So a reminder, everybody, you you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, on Google Play Music, or on Stitcher. Uh, you can uh, go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the nail podcast. Uh, who knows? We might put some extra stuff up there uh, the next couple of weeks. And uh, we're on Twitter as well uh, at the nail podcast. Uh, so uh, that should do it. Uh, we will be back uh, next week um, as the uh, finals begin to unfold. Uh, we'll see how uh, things are going for our uh, wine and gold at that point. So for Travis Yuley, Uh, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coven, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.